plan today is to finish up our Turning Point series. Uh, we've been looking over the last several weeks, uh, I think it's been about eight weeks, we've talked about these, these, these turning points in our spiritual journeys, these truths that we can hold on to that if we'll grasp hold of those and really get them, they can become natural turning points in our lives about following Jesus, which is what we're going to talk about today. We've seen quickly, I'm just going to go through it fast, uh, we talked about how Jesus is everything, uh, that he can complete us, uh, that he longs for intimacy, that he calls us out of our comfort zones, um, that we can get beyond our excuses as we looked about that. Um, and then we looked last week at these disciples that Jesus came to them and then they left everything and they followed him. Um, now the heartbeat today was that, following Jesus. What does that mean? What does that look like? Because as I combed through the scriptures this week, I want to give you a couple as we prepare. Uh, and if you want to grab your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke 14 in just a minute if you want to turn there. But as you're turning to Luke 14, let me give you a couple things, because Jesus repeatedly talked about people following him. He wasn't really all in on saying, hey, I want you to associate with me, I want you to pray a prayer, I want you to do these things, I want you to, to, to like me. No, he, he consistently challenged those close to him to follow him. Matthew chapter 4, in ni verse 19, Jesus says, come follow me. I will send you out to fish for people or, or, or fishers, be fishers of men. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up their cross and follow. Mark chapter 10, Jesus looked at, at him, talking about the rich young ruler. You know this story. He says, one thing you like, he said, go sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then follow me. John chapter 1, Jesus looking at Philip and Nathanael, and the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. John chapter 8, there was a dispute over, over Jesus' testimony. When Jesus spoke to the people, he said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And lastly, John chapter 20, 21, excuse me, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death as he's talking with Peter. He says, by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. So over and over and over, Jesus' call to his people, to his disciples, is to follow. Now, as I wrestled with this, either, either Jesus was a narcissistic, needy person that was so insecure that he had to have an entourage around him at all times, so he could feel good about himself, or there is something to this truth of willfully choosing to follow. Before we read our text for the day, I want to share with you, the word follow in, 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 in the original language is akalepheo, which means this, it is a present imperative and an ongoing command. It implies a future and continuing to follow, as if to say, from now on in your life, follow, accompany assist in this journey. It's interesting in our culture, as we prepare to read our text, this is often not what we talk about. Uh, sometimes we look at, uh, uh, there's a, some rub here about becoming a Christian, and, and Jesus wants us to count the cost, and, and it's more than just believing in what Jesus has done for us. There is a, a challenge and a call for us to leave it all behind and follow, not to merely, and this is hard, not to merely associate with him. And so in today's text, we're going to read in Luke chapter 14, if you'll grab your Bibles, we're going to read verses 25 through 35, excuse me, 25 through 35. 
we're going to walk through this text together and see what Jesus says. So if you'll read along with me, then I'll say a quick prayer, and then we're going to walk through this text together. Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first... Sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000. If he is not able, he will send a delegation while others uh, are still along the way off and will ask for terms of peace. Verse 33, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is neither fit for soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Would you pray with me before we walk through this? Let's pray. I, I know uh, wherever you're at right now, you may be in a living room full of, of, of kids and, and there's stuff going on, which is totally fine. But if you're able to, would you just pause for a second? We do it every Sunday. Just pause for a second. Uh, in your own way, ask God to show you something today, what it means and looks like for, to follow him. Uh, would you pray for me? Uh, I would appreciate it. I'll be honest with you. It's kind of weird and interesting and different to, to preach to a camera this morning, but would you pray for me that I might preach truth, that even through technology that we might be changed, that his spirit would move, and that all of us can be changed today. You pray. God, I'm grateful for the day. As we gather in our homes and as we gather in different places and maybe even different times, um, God, I thank you for your word and we get to open it up and see what you have for us today. Um, and this truth, uh, this, this, this hopefully a turning point of, of understanding what you desire for your people and that's to follow. Help us to, to grasp hold of that. Help us to finish this series with, with a solid solid, solid truth of understanding what you expect from us, not what we might think it is and not what we might in Christian culture have turned it into being, but what you expect of us, your people, your followers. So bless this time, and we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I I said this early, um, and you can stay right there in Luke 14. You don't have to turn anywhere else. We're going to walk through this. Uh, But I've said this in other times, that Jesus... um, seemingly does um, a difficult task, and what he does is he seems to make it more complex, and, and if you're trying to gather a crowd, some of the things that Jesus says, it, it would honestly thin the crowd up. Um, when you think about what this looks like, and, and large crowds follow, and, and I was flashing back to the Sermon on the Mount and things like this, where Jesus repeatedly said these difficult truths 
that would cause people to say, I don't think I, that's, I, I, don't think I can do that. Um, and it kind of thins the crowd where he's not just trying to build a massive group or following, if you will, but he wants people to truly follow and, and, and know what that means. Um, and back in the Sermon on the Mount, he talked about, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye. Uh, but he's saying, hey, I'm saying now turn the other cheek. He's saying, to, uh, don't prioritize uh, earthly treasures, store them up on, on, in heaven and he talked about how we handle money and how the meek shall inherit the earth. And you've ha- talked about all of these, these difficult subjects, such as prayer, justice, caring for people, the religious law. He even talks about divorce and fasting and judging other people and salvation. But his words are, are, are difficult. And, and, and everything he talks about, it's not about just trying to associate him. Jesus has never been about trying to get people to just associate with him conveniently follow when he wants to, but no, he's talking about leaving it all and abandoning it all to follow him. We see in our, in our, our text today, in Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 25, uh, in Luke's account, Jesus, to kind of set up the context, Jesus had, had healed on the Sabbath. He had told parables of, of a wedding feast and a great banquet. You can go back and read those later if you have time. But now there is a massive crowd that, that's surrounding Jesus. And then he, he begins to speak these bold words, and let's just look at, jump right into it, verse 25 through 27. Look at what he says. These large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned to them in verse 26, and he says this. If anybody, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Verse 27, anyone who does not carry their own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now these words, I think you would agree, if we were here together, you would agree that those are bold, those are something, those are things that are going to create a little, I call them space makers, where people are going to start trickling off, and I can't help, if I'm being completely honest, if, you, if I put myself in this, in this story, I can't help but picture these large crowds, and Jesus begins to speak this way, and people kind of trickling off, saying, I'm out. I don't know what this guy's, this guy's crazy, I don't know what he's talking about, uh, but now he's talking about hating my parents, hating my family, all this kind of stuff, and, and it's crazy, but he's using these bold words on purpose. He sets right here two conditions for the crowd, for us to look at and say, okay, this is what we're talking about when it comes to following him. The condition number one, he talks about these family relationships, hating your parents, your wife, your kids, and, and even your own self, and what is he talking about? Is he just saying, like, you need to hate your family and, and be mean to them? No, that's not what he's saying at all. He's using these bold words on purpose because even, like, right now as you're listening, even when I read this, he's doing what us preachers, we try to emulate. Jesus is creating tension. He's creating tension because as soon as he says this, you better believe that people are going to lean in and go, what? What are you talking about? Where, where are you going with this and leaning in? And I can picture the crowd standing. And what he is talking about in these first couple of verses is your devotion, your love, and your relationship with him. He's saying, and, and this is so important, that by comparison, by comparison to your love to Jesus and love for him is what he's saying, your love for others ought to look like hate. Now, that's, that's crazy and that's bold, but it should look differently. And now, right now, that, that creates a little tension, a little rub. Because we love our families, we love our, our children, we love our parents, uh, we love these people in our lives, but he's trying to get them to understand that this is not a game. This is not a, about associating with him. This is not about just saying some things in our culture of praying a prayer, get baptized, go back and live your life. What he's wanting them to understand, there is a cost here. 
in the love that you have for me, says Jesus, it ought to look by comparison as if you hate others because you love me so much. Jesus is not narcissistic. He doesn't try to just try to build a crowd or he's trying to do those things. He is trying to get them to understand what this looks like and to be all in when it comes to following him. Now, in our culture, we hear this, and uh, preachers like me and people like, uh, that, that, that can teach this, we almost try to soften this and, and, and try to make it sound like it's something that it's really not. But, but, but what I, I, I truly believe, the heartbeat of Christ here, is that he's wanting those in this large crowd to say, this is not a game. That's my paraphrase. He, this is not just something you just kind of tag along, and when it's convenient, you no, know, he's saying, it is about a love, devotion, and relationship. And the condition number one that he says is that, hey, your relationships in this world, even those you hold dear, those close to you, by comparison, your love for me should be so great, so powerful, so devoted, so in love, per se, that every other relationship looks like hatred. That's pretty challenging. I think you would agree with that. I think there's some good discussions you can have with your family after this, and he's exposing the heart. He even says, even your own life, it's the difficult part of this. He says, even your own life, you, your, your love for your family by comparison should look like hate. But then he says, even your own life at the end of verse 26. What Jesus is looking for is that he is the priority, he is number one, and everything else pales in comparison. It's kind of crazy because the world would think this is absurd, which is why those who profess Jesus that try to blend into the world, uh, we don't really stand out. But listen to what John Piper says this when he talks about this decision, this will for a life that the world should take notice. He says this, we will be called upon to make choices in this world that look as if we hate our lives in the sense of caring very little for, uh, for their well-being. To the world, this will look like the ultimate self-hate, throwing your life away for a myth. You may have your life just like I do. People that might think, y'all are crazy. You're willing to take everything for this Jesus. You're willing to get up on Sundays and not sleep in. You read your Bible. You have a life of You do all of this. That's crazy. And, and I guess what, what Piper's trying to say is that it should look crazy to the world. The world should not look at people who follow Christ. It looks just like everybody else. Jesus is trying to say, you should stick out like a sore thumb. You should be different, set apart, distinct. And when and your, even your relationships should look like hatred. He's like, you should hate your own life. Everything about your decisions to put Christ first ought to make the world take notice. That's challenging. The second condition, he says, in verse 27, is that we must carry our cross. And look at what he says in verse 27. And whoever does not carry his own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, now you want to talk about thinning out the crowd. You want to talk about saying, oh, this guy has lost it. He's nuts. Now he's talking about the cross. And in this context, they understood that. That, was not, that wasn't an, uh, an example that they would per perk up and go, whoa. This guy's talking about hating family by comparison. And now he's saying that we got to carry our cross. In Rome, that would show submission. It served as a visual warning to everyone else that you fall in line to Rome. Now, why would Jesus say this? Why would he say something else that's so profound, so complicated, so um, aggressive, if you will, and so divisive that people might say, I'm out. That's not what I bargained for. 
This guy's lost it. He's talking about hating others compared to him. Now he's saying that we got to carry our cross. I know exactly what that means. Many in this context might have seen people. They know and they love. Yes, Jesus himself later would die on the cross. He would carry his cross. But now he's saying, we must do that. Jesus wants you and I, all of us, to get past, please understand this, to get past any sort of superficial religious enthusiasm, ideas, or notions of what you or someone else might think following him looks like. Now, that's a pretty bold statement. Because we live in a world where preachers, teachers, pastors, churches, we want to see people saved, right? We want to see people follow Christ. But if you're trying to sell this to people in the world, this is a very difficult thing. This is what he calls. It's not simple. It's complex. It's difficult. It's hard. Take up your cross and follow me. Die to yourself and follow. This concept of, of, of death to self is something that Jesus talks about several times. In Luke chapter 9, it'll be on the screen for you, Jesus said this, to all, if anyone would come after me, let him first deny himself, take up his cross, and follow. For whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save. For what is a profit of man if he gains the whole world and he forfeits his very soul? The bottom line is Jesus is trying to get them to understand and get us to understand that for those who want to akalafeo, those who want to follow, not merely associate, it's not about you anymore. It's the same thing, church, it's the same thing, friends, that when we talk to, to children or adults that come to faith in Christ, where we want them to understand what it means to follow, it is not about you anymore. It is about dying to your priorities of life, dying to what you think is important. It's not about boasting and building up your own status and, and your, your own uh, 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 reputation, if you will. It is about an abandonment of self to say, it's not about me, I'm following him. Now, here's the, the question as we continue. What does that look like in daily life? If the call of Christ, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer says in the call to, uh, cost of discipleship, says when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Your life is no longer yours. My question to you as we think about this is, does that describe you if you're a follower of Jesus? Does that describe our, our lives of, of willing to follow him? And this is something to write down and something you could take, talk about later in your, in your families and friends. Are you and am I willing to follow Jesus on his terms, not on ours? You know, I had somebody tell me that a long time ago, and that's something that's kind of been in the back of my brain of how if we're not careful, we can kind of manipulate and massage this gospel into something that's kind of easy, easy believism, if you will. Pray a prayer, get baptized, go to church when you want to, uh, try to associate outside of your life. It's kind of ready for this kind of, try to compartmentalize, squeeze Jesus into your marriage, your finances, your work, and school. And nowhere in scripture does Jesus even desire that at all. He wants everything. It is a call to die to all of that and follow him in everything. He wants us to evaluate and truly decide if we want to follow, not associate, but to willfully follow him, to die to self 
And so that all of our relationships in this world, that the world's going to look at us and go, these guys are nuts, they're crazy, they're so devoted, they're so in love with him, they so pursue him, they so long for him, they can't wait to get in the word, they can't wait for Sundays, they can't wait to, to live as he's wanting to, and the way they live their life is crazy, as, as John Piper was saying. It's, it, it, people in the world are thinking, y'all are nuts, you've left everything to follow this Jesus? Yes, that is what Jesus is looking at. That is what he's asking, and, and excuse me, he's demanding of those as he's talking to this crowd to say, this is what it looks like to follow me. This is what it looks like to akalatheo, not associate, but to abandon it all and truly, truly follow me. He's going to give two illustrations in verse 28 through 32 um, that are going to help us understand the, the depth and how big a decision this is. As he's talking to this crowd, picture it. He's going to put it all out there. He's going to say these tough words, and then he's going to give two illustrations to make a point. And, and just to let the cat out of the bag, he's wanting them to understand, to count the cost, and not be hastily, uh, excuse me, be hasty in saying, sure, I'm in, I'll follow you. He gives two illustrations. Look at verses 28 through 32. He says this, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and count the cost or estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? Verse 29. For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person has began to build and wasn't able to finish it. Verse 31. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one who's coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able... He will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. Now, quickly, there's a lot here, but what I want you to see, there's two illustrations, building a tower or a house and going to war. I've never built a house. I've never had to do that, but I know people that have, and I've seen these kind of things, but I don't know anybody that ever plans to build a house and when asked, hey, what's your budget? What does it cost? Nobody says, I don't know. We just kind of go. Ever renovated your house or added on or done something and You've got, to, you've got to count the cost. You've got to figure out, hey, do we have the money? Do we have the budget? Can we complete this? Do we know what we're getting into? This idea of going to war. Nobody, king or not, goes to war without evaluating the enemy and evaluating what you have. These two illustrations are helping us and helping them understand what's expected. Count the cost. Know what you're getting into. Don't make a hasty decision and just jump into something, war, building, those kind of things, and just think it's going to pan out. <coughs> Excuse me. There's a saying that expectations will shape your experiences, and Jesus is, is not trying to talk people out of it, but he knows the reality of what they're getting into. Can I say that again? He's not trying to talk them out of it. He's not trying to get this crowd to say, have nothing to do with me, but he's wanting them to know the authentic truth of what you're getting into. And he uses these illustrations and these metaphors, if you will, of, uh, of helping them count the cost. Know what, what it's going to cost you. Know what you're getting into. Here. Getting into, excuse me. I've said this a couple of times about our culture and uh, churches, and sometimes if we're not careful, we make it really easy. Uh, coming to Christ, yes, Jesus did it all. Jesus paid the price for us. We do nothing to come to follow Christ, so the, the, I mean, uh, uh, to be saved, excuse me. So the question I have for you is, is what does it cost to be saved? It doesn't cost us anything. Jesus, he died for our sins. He paid the debt that we cannot pay. He did all of that for you and for me. He did all of it. But then the other question is, what does it cost you to follow him? What does it cost you to akalatheo and 
willfully choose to abandon it all for him, what does it cost you? It's going to cost you everything. That might be a good conversation to have with family of what does it look like to daily follow him with everything. I said it earlier in, in, in our text, and I referred to the, to the rich young ruler. You know that story when, when the, he said, I know, I know everything. I've done all these things. The law, I've kept all these things. What must I do to be saved? And Jesus knows his heart. He knows that he is unwilling to let go of money. That was kind of his thing. <clears throat> Excuse me. He was willing to let go of it. And Jesus says, go sell everything you have and then come and follow me. Now, as the story goes, we have no record of him doing that or coming to faith. The scriptures actually say he walked away. Why? Because his heart was unwilling. He wanted to associate. He wanted to have the benefits of following Christ. As I put it this way, he wants the benefits of Christianity. I want to go to heaven when I die. I want to be safe from my sins. But he wanted nothing to do with Jesus. And that challenges my heart when I think I know that's what Jesus is getting to. He's not looking for mere companions to follow him around and travel. He's having people say, think of this, these two building a tower, going to war. You need to count the cost. You know, Jesus did it all so that we might be saved. But the cost of following him is going to cost us everything. <coughs> Excuse me. I think about where we might be in our life. Excuse me, as I take a sip. <clears throat> I think sometimes maybe we can be in a bad place, and maybe we can, um, maybe you know you're a Christian, you know you've given your life to Christ, and you just got junk in your life, and you're just wrestling with that. Maybe, maybe life's going great. I just want to encourage you to keep going, trust the Spirit, and follow Him. Maybe, maybe somebody out there today, maybe uh, there's there's a young person out there sitting in a living room with your families, and you've been trying to, you've been listening. You've been trying to gather information of what this looks like to really follow Jesus and know him. I want you to really consider it. I want you to hear the words of Jesus where he wants people to truly know him and come to faith in him and truly follow him. I've seen it, and it, it hurts my heart to say this, but I've seen it young and old. I've seen people that have get, got, uh, become saved excuse me, at a young age and they know that Jesus died for their sins, and they grow, they grow a little older, and they, they are pretty religious. They go to church. They do some things. But later on in life, when the reality of their life hits in, and, and, and there's decisions to make. There's things to leave behind. There's temptations to wrestle through. There's struggles to deal with. There's sin to be left behind, and some do. Some will struggle. And some, in those moments, will forsake Jesus for more important things to them. And they prove themselves to not be those who akalafeo, but those who are merely associating with him. They're not followers. But I think a, a, a more dangerous thing happens in our world, um, and if we're not careful in our churches, where we become religious, we associate with Jesus, we dabble with the world, we maintain uh, sinful things in our life, and we justify habits, and we justify things in our life, but we're unwilling to truly forsake and follow him. And maybe there's things in our lives where, where even right now as you hear me, I know it's kind of weird in an empty sanctuary, but maybe in, right now whether you're sitting with your family, you're by yourself or whatever, maybe there's things in your life where you know that there's things in your life that, that, that God's wanting you to forsake and abandon that and follow him and, 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 and lay that at his feet. Help, if I'm honest, I have it in my notes and I don't want to skip it, it's 
this is why I struggle, because I, I, I wrestle and I think about what Jesus said, what he said that narrows the path and few will find it and wide is the road to destruction. And what he says in a very stark, in a very difficult way is that there will be people who think they are saved, yet their life will prove otherwise. Now, I know that's bold and I know that's hard, but that's kind of what Jesus is after. He's wanting us to know what we're getting into and our lives will prove and that ought to sting a little bit. And that ought to get all of us, myself at the top of the list, to create a little inventory and think, am I following him? Am I associating him? Am I following him? Am I abandoning it all for him? Do my relationships around me look differently because I love him so much? Am I willing to forsake it all to count the cost of what it means to follow? Jesus may be asking, you talk about a turning point. Jesus may be asking some of you out there today that you have given your life to Christ you're just struggling, and you're following him, but you're also holding on to things tightly. There's something, someone, it, it could be anything or any, whatever. <coughs> Excuse me. And you know that you're, you're struggling with that, that you're following him with, with white knuckles and not wanting to let go. There's not an abandonment of everything that he has, of dying to self and, and, and carrying our cross and following him. And maybe God's just asking today just to let that go. And maybe there's some out there that are really thinking, man, I want to follow Jesus. I, want to, I, I don't just want to go to heaven when I die. I want to follow him on this earth. And that's why with our children and our young people, we try to get them to understand what they're getting into when they come to follow Christ. The gospel is, is at the very front of everything we talked today. Jesus has come. He will die for us. He will conquer death, rise from the dead, and he bids us to come. But the call is to come and die and to follow him. It's interesting. Jesus, in verse 34, as we finish the text, uh, just in case you think I'm taking a little liberty here on having to abandon some things in, in the world and, and do this. Listen to what he says in verse 34. He talks about salt. It's kind of weird, but it's the, the text on purpose. Listen to what he says. It's masterful. He says this. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's fit neither for the soil or for the manure pile thrown out. And the invitation is, whoever has ears, let them hear. Jesus goes straight from talking about giving up everything to follow him, and then he starts talking about salt. In the first century, salt is a preservative, just like now. It has a function, it has a value, it is useful, and, and salt is it's synonymous with, with, with preservation. In the ancient world, that's what they used. They didn't have refrigeration, they used salt, and, and, and the thing is, it's weird, it's because it's kind of Kind of profound, but salt can't stop being salt. It's weird, but when <coughs> excuse me, I'm so sorry. Salt, uh, by its very nature, can't stop being salt. It is salt. So how can salt lose its saltiness? Now, here's the point. Salt loses its saltiness when it becomes diluted by other things. You see, in this context... Most of the salt they had came from the Dead Sea, it was not, it, it, but, but it could be compromised. Uh, it, it could be with dirt and soil or things like that, but the application is, is, is not complex. It is very simple. Jesus is talking about those who, was, who profess to be followers, to be Christians, that we might not be deluded by the rest of the world. And when we allow the things of the world to creep in and become paramount in our life, what he's saying is that we, we lose our saltiness. We get diluted, and you mix in a little bunch of dirt with salt, it's going to be kind of hard to be salty again. 
And that's, it, it's just masterful because what he's trying to get them to understand is that we have to abandon it all. And when things come in our life and we want to hold those as idols in our life and so important in our life, Jesus says that's when we begin to be diluted because we lose our saltiness. Because we're mixing in other things with that salt. Maybe there are those out there as I kind of wrap this thing up today. It's some, it's some bold words, and I was thinking about how bold it might be if I had a church full of people. But it's, a, it's, a, it's some bold words today. But the reason I chose to, to, to complete the series with this is because I, I, I know, based upon the text, that this is what Jesus is after. Would you describe yourself as one who follows him according to his terms or one who associates with him? There may be those out there that, that you want to know Jesus, you want to follow. He's making a point for us to be careful and, 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 and to not be deluded by the things of the world that we might press on. So if there are things in your life that you allow to creep in to become paramount in our life, may you confess those and, and just in our daily grind, and sometimes it's a moment by moment, a, a day by day, confessing things in our lives that creep in that keep us from truly following him. Would you just confess those to him today? If you claim to know Christ, how's that following going? If you don't know Jesus, maybe today would be the day, and I would love to have a conversation with you, talk with your family, talk with a loved one, but don't be hasty. Jesus wants us to know what this really means to follow him. There's a quote I love as I wrap this thing up. I was, I was thinking about this because it, these are bold words, and it's easy for Jesus' words to kind of just wash over us, but uh, I love how Oswald Chambers says this. He says, we, we get so used to these sayings of Jesus that they kind of slip past us, and they sound like sweet, and, and they're pious, and they're wonderfully simple. But they are, in reality, like spiritual torpedoes. I like that. They should burst and explode in the subconscious mind. What Chambers is saying is when we look at things like this today, that they might not be going, Jesus wants us to follow him. He wants us to die to ourselves. He got simple words that we can say, but it's a massive thing. My prayer is that, as Chambers says, that they're not just going to wash over us and that we might, I hate to say get bored or comfortable with them, but that we might be blown away by what he says, by what he expects. Following Christ is a call call to die. Before I read a final text, I, I, I was in my office on Friday. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. I've got a little cough, but I was in my office on Friday, and I was sitting there thinking, I even have it in my notes here, and I was wrestling because um, if you're on my side of this sermon and you're preaching and teaching, whether you have a, a full sanctuary or not, it sounds as if Jesus and I am, am, am making it difficult to come to know him and to follow him. And you might be thinking, David, that's not a very good sales pitch. If you're trying to put it out there for people to come to follow Jesus, and I wrestle with this because I caught myself, and it's almost like we try to make it easier. We try to sell it better. And Jesus, <coughs> excuse me, the Holy Spirit in my office on Friday was like, David, you're not a salesman. Quit trying to sell it. Don't try to make it into something that it's not. And that's what God kind of hit me on Friday um, was that for me and maybe for you and those in our life that if we claim to know and follow or desire to follow him because of all that he's done, because of the good news of the gospel, because he came and he ransomed us, he died for our sins, and he bids us to come and to follow, may we do it the way he wants. And I'll close with this, and I'm going to pray for you, then we'll be done. 
May our lives echo what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 8. Paul says, For whatever gains were gains to me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. And what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth or value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish or garbage that I may gain Christ. My prayer today is this. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads where you're at. I know it's kind of weird if you're on your, in your own spot. My prayer is this today. If you know Jesus, my prayer is this, is that, that we might be guarded against things that might dilute and help lose our saltiness. I know mine, I'm sure you know yours, things in your life that temptations and struggles and worries and doubts um, and, and habits and things like that that might creep into our life that the world might look at us and be like, man, they're just like everybody else. That we might be distinct. That the world might look at us and say, those people are a little different, a little crazy, because they love this Jesus a whole lot. May that be the testimony of our lives. If you're out there and you've not given your life to Jesus, young or old, and you're thinking, I, I know about Jesus, uh, I've just never given my life, I, I want you to do that. I want you to hear Jesus' words where he wants you to come. He wants you to think about it. He wants you to not be hasty. He wants you to count the cost of what it looks like to truly, truly follow him. And if that's you, I want you to find me, find a family member, find somebody and pray with me. May we and may I, all of us, hear his words and to truly, truly follow him as he desires, not as we manipulate and make it into being. That our lives would look like Paul, that we consider everything a loss compared to knowing him. Father, I thank you for this different uh, snowy Sunday. It's hard to preach just to a camera.